Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hello, my name is Joshua Ferris. I'm the author of The Unnamed, and then we came to the end. Uh, My most recent book is The Unnamed. It's about a man who suffers from a mysterious illness. He can't prevent himself from walking. I'm going to read a section from the book about his wife, Jane, who is attempting to keep Tim, uh, the main character, at home and safe. But she uh, has weaknesses of her own. And this is a story about Jane. When did she go from someone who liked a glass of wine with dinner to the woman with the lights blazing at 4 a.m., trying to do the bills totally blasted? Her nice, quiet life had been stalked from behind by alcohol. Who would have guessed? If you were predisposed or had the gene or lacked some inner resource, you had to be vigilant or you went down. Four in the morning and she was digging through her purse for a Newport. What was that? She was not that woman. But she was. Oldest story there is. Total cliché. Except when it's your life. When it's your life, it's not a cliché. It's real life. Real, everyday life. Just drunk. It came up from behind her and knocked her to her knees. She never expected it, but that's what happened. It came up from behind. Being a drunk was simple. It was an accident you caught sight of in the rearview mirror, and the car you saw was your own. The intersection where the accident happened, it was the very one you were approaching. When you turned from the mirror to the road in front of you, bam, you got hit again. And then, once again, you were looking back at it. She was supposed to be on guard her whole life against alcohol? Who knew? She called Becca during her time in the room and said, You have to come home now and watch your father. It's your turn. It's time. Like he was a baby and not her husband. Like Becca had made the vows and not her. Becca didn't understand. Why? Do you have plans? she asked. Jane had no plans. She hadn't had plans for months. She hadn't seen a movie. She hadn't talked to friends. She hadn't been to the dentist. She wasn't going outside to collect the mail. Becca got the mail when she came home. Becca was the one who had to drag her by the hair to see Dr. Bagdasarian. Jane kept thinking, when did she become the parent? Becca told her to put the wine glass down and get in the car. She had called from school to make the appointment. The doctor took one look at Jane and said she was in the dictionary under depressed and wrote her a prescription. She didn't need a prescription. She needed a life. She needed to start over again with new teeth and fresh underwear. But of course she took the prescription. If it came from a pharmacy and modified behavior, there had to be some merit to it. But a month went by and she was still calling Becca. You have to come home, she said. I have to drive. And Becca said, drive? Yes, drive. Drive where? Drive where? What sort of question was that? When you're driving just to drive, you don't know where. You're just driving. She shrieked that into the phone. If she shrieked, if she called late at night, if she cried, if she made several calls in the same hour, Becca came home and she was able to drive. In the magazines and in the newspapers, those people, they had such inner resources, meaning adversity head-on and all that. Her first time driving, she made it to Stamford, Connecticut. That wasn't even an hour away. She thought she'd stop at the Bennigans for lunch, and then she'd keep driving north. 
She walked in around lunchtime, and the tables in the dining room were full, so she took a seat at the bar. She was just going to fuel up before hitting the road again, but she got drunk instead. She was at the bar throughout the day. The daytime bartender switched with the nighttime bartender, and she was still at the bar. She finally asked the nighttime bartender to call her a cab. She was drunk, and she was tired, and she didn't want to have to walk out to the parking lot. She thought there might be some way to convince someone to carry her. But when the cabbie showed up and the bartender said, Your cab's here, she got off the bar stool and grabbed her purse and walked out on her own. She got inside the cab and didn't know what to say. How about a hotel, she finally said. The cabbie drove her to a Holiday Inn and helped her inside. He helped her check in, and then he helped her to her room. She woke up around noon not knowing where she was. She woke up, she knew it was a hotel room, but she didn't know in what city. She walked down to the Denny's for some coffee, and when the coffee started to take effect, she remembered the Binnigans. She went back to the Holiday Inn and asked for a cab. It was the same cabbie from the night before. She didn't remember him. He said to her, Back to the Binnigans? She asked if he ever took a break from driving, and he told her that he was doing 20 hours a day so he could pay to pull a tooth. He drove her back to the Binnigans. They drove through the lot, but she couldn't find her car. The cabbie called a friend of his at the municipality, and sure enough, her car had been towed. Cars weren't allowed to stay overnight in that lot. The cabbie offered to help, but she thanked him and paid him, and went inside the Binnigans to think. It was lunchtime. She ordered a drink, and then she ordered a second one. The daytime bartender gave way to the nighttime bartender, and she was drunk a second day at the Binnigans in Stamford. She was there another five or six hours until Todd called her a cab. Todd was the nighttime bartender. When the cab came, it was the same driver. She couldn't believe it. She drank through his night. He was getting at most three hours of sleep a day, trying to earn enough to pull his tooth. But was he fleeing his responsibilities? Was he getting drunk in her neighborhood, Bennigan's? People had such inner resources. He said, back to the Holiday Inn? She went back to the Holiday Inn. Same woman at the check-in counter, same room from the night before. The next morning, it was the same cabbie. Back to the Binnigans, he asked. She asked him finally to help her get her car out of Hawk. Then she drove home. It was Monday, and Becca had already missed her first class of the week. That was the first drive she took. She needed a place like Stanford if she was going to run away from her self-respect. Stanford was the perfect place to feel shameful. She didn't want too much luxury around to remind her that she could afford not to be unhappy. She liked sitting at the Bennigans. She was attracted to it because it was just another chain in another strip mall. If it had been a real bar, the people would have been too real. It would have been the same bartender every time, the same regulars, a home away from home. But after two or three months, she never saw Todd again. During her time there, there was Rennell and Deidre and Eva. There was Jerry and Ron. They knew her, but they didn't. People came and went. It was all very anonymous, perfect for getting shit-faced. The Holiday Inn was perfect for the same reasons. She got a room first so she could park the car, and then she'd call Emmett. Emmett was the cabbie. He'd pick her up and drive her to the Bennigans. She drank Tangeray and cranberry juice. Then she'd call Emmett to drive her back to the Holiday Inn. He worked 20 hours a day because something was nearly always wrong. He had bad teeth and an ulcer. He had high blood pressure. There were things in the future that needed fixing and things in the past that needed paying off. He couldn't get insurance, and he couldn't pay for what the insurance would never cover. She had his cell number, and on the rare occasion he wasn't driving for the company, he would pick her up in his Chevy Lumina. 
He took care of her when she wasn't able to take care of herself. Why are you doing this to yourself? He asked her one night after helping her inside her room at the Holiday Inn. My husband. Your husband? My husband's at home, suffering. Suffering what? Suffering what? She said. Suffering what? Ha 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 ha, she roared. Ha 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 ha. Do you think this is helping him? He asked when her laughter had finally died. It's helping me, she replied. She failed him. She hadn't screwed anyone. She hadn't left him for someone new, but that was only because it was easier to drink. That's all. With something to take a drink from, she could find the strength to care for him most of the time. But how hard was that? He was strapped to a bed. She could walk away whenever she wanted, and she did a lot of walking away. She got used to him screaming. It got so that with enough wine, she could ignore him. She did a shitty job tending to his bed sores. She would fall asleep when she read out loud to him. She wasn't in the room when he needed to talk. She kept more company with the wine. So she never left. Big whoop. So she never screwed somebody else. So what? When she wasn't at the Bennigan's, she moved through the house. She went from room to room, feeling the massive crushing weight of it. She tried to remember why they had decided that they needed so much space. To raise Becca, of course, but how big did they expect the child to be? And did they not realize how quickly 18 years would go by? Did they not foresee how alone they would become in that oversized house? When he was sleeping or when she chose to ignore him, she wandered from room to room counting the beds. They had a total of eight beds if she included his hospital bed and the pull-out sofa and the twin mattress in the basement. How did they ever come to own so many beds? Who were they for? She didn't know except to say that seven of them must have been for her. There was no one else around. If his parents had been alive or if her parents had been alive, if he had had brothers and sisters or if she had had brothers and sisters, but nobody had anything and everybody was dead. She could sleep in a different bed every night and never repeat beds for an entire week. He needed one specific type of bed and couldn't sleep anywhere else, and she sort of envied that. She loved her room at the Stanford Holiday Inn. It was too big, but it had only one bed. She could move the chair and the desk and the hutch and the other chair around the bed, and the room got much smaller. She was shit-faced when she was doing the moving, and they always charged her for it, but it was worth it. There was just one bed, and with the rearranged furniture, the room was the size she liked. One night at the Bennigan's, she counted the people at the bar with her. There were three couples, herself and the bartender. That made eight total, and her mind just went from there. She stood up on the bar stool, on the rungs that supported the legs, and beat the bar with her hand. That got everyone's attention. She said, I see there are eight of us here at this bar. The people she addressed were total strangers. Eight of us at this bar, she continued, and at my home I have eight beds. The bartender came over to ask her to lower her voice. She couldn't remember who exactly, Eva maybe. Now I would like to invite every one of you over to my house, she said, because I have a bed for each and every one of you. I want all of you to spend the night at my house. It's about 20, about 40, it's... An hour, don't know how far away it is. She kept going on and on until the manager came over. He tried to get her to sit down, but she wouldn't sit down. He tried to get her to be quiet, but she snapped at him. I will not be silenced, she said. The manager exchanged a look with the bartender. 
Please excuse us, he said to the others at the bar. I will not be silenced, goddammit, she cried. I'm inviting these good people to spend the night at my house. The next thing she remembered was Emmett picking her up in the women's room where she had fallen asleep on the floor. She had rested her cheek on the toilet seat. That was the last time she was allowed back at the Bennigans. From then on, she started drinking at the TGI Fridays. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED. 